Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Well, 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 Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce, we are back and we are talking World Cup qualifying for CONCACAF. Two match rounds are down. To give you a quick update on the standings, if you don't already know, Mexico sit perfect on six points, Panama on four, Canada two, Honduras two, US two, El Salvador two, Costa Rica on one, Jamaica the only team on zero points. As a reminder, we're playing 14 games in this qualifying campaign, so there's plenty of time to go, but today we are going to preview the U.S. playing away to Honduras, as well as the other matches coming up. Kegelasso Pod starts right now. And for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave Kegelasso a rating and a review. It only takes a few seconds, and it helps us to continue to make free episodes like this one. So for those watching on YouTube, like, comment, and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hit that little bell so you can make sure that you get this every time we go live or uh, there's a uh, content post going on. And you can listen to K Glosso Pod on your smart speakers. You could say, hey, Alexa, uh, play the latest K Glosso Podcast. Or, hey, Google, play the latest episode of K Glosso Podcast. Pretty fun. I've tried it. It's actually, uh, and it works. So that's pretty great. Jimmy Conrad, what is going on, man? I actually pay Heath Pierce to come over to my house. I say, hey, Heath. Can you press Kegelasso podcast <laughs> on my, my smart yeah. speaker? Yeah, you can have a smart speaker or you could just tell me to do it and I'll come over to your house and do it. Uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm doing okay. I am back to being cautiously optimistic about this game against Honduras. I've got my varsity jacket on, my U.S. men's national team varsity jacket on. So I'm trying to get out the positive vibes. Obviously, there's a lot to get into with Weston McKinney being sent home. Giorena going back to Dortmund to get his treatment. Serginho Dest out for this one because of an ankle injury. Us calling in Jackson Yule, a holding midfielder who was part of our Olympic team that didn't qualify. I don't, maybe I shouldn't have led with that. I actually think he's <laughs> a ta- talented young player, but he was part of that team that didn't qualify, captain of that team. He does provide some cover there, and obviously he can hold. He's a, he's a good passer of the ball. So I'm, I'm, it's, it's a player that, that Greg Berhalter is familiar with. So that's, that's something. Uh, is he the guy that I think we need to unlock teams that sit back? Maybe not, but but it is some cover for us, and obviously uh, a player that can get acclimated with the team very quickly. And I think that's important to have as we try to have depth in, in multiple positions. So so I don't know, man. I'm 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 not on the precipice of panicking. I don't think that solves any problems. I don't think it does any good. I I sometimes wish that social media wasn't around because I'm sure the players, they have a lot of free time on their hands. Weston McKinney got creative with his free time, and that's why he's out. But for the other guys, they're probably just sitting in the room, looking through Instagram, looking through Twitter, and there's probably not a lot of positivity floating around out there about their performance. And and they know it. I mean, they're professionals. They know when they play well and when they don't collectively and individually. So I'm a little nervous going into this one because we have not won in San Pedro Sula for quite some time. So this is going to be a big, big test for these particular group of players. Jimmy, let me ask you this. Uh, do you not think that you mentioned social media? Do you not think this is a part of the growth of this team, though, is having to deal? You know, we you, you go back to the argument of like, we need more relegation and promotion, and these <laughs> players got to be under more pressure. I'll tell you what, they're under pressure right now. Mm-hmm. The year 2018 cycle was under pressure and they collapsed. Do you think that this type of negativity is something that you build and learn from, or do you think it's just a distraction? Like, can you harness this? Can you learn from this? Can you say, uh, you know, in, at least in your opinion, you know, I don't ever want to feel this again. I mean, because it's a team sport, right? It takes so many players for a result to go the right way that do you think there's scapegoats when that happens? Do you think there's accountability? Do you think there's learning experiences? Or what's your take on the social media role within all of that? Okay, well, specifically about social media, I think it gives players the platform to speak for themselves, which can be seen as a benefit. And sometimes it can work against particular players, depending on what's been happening. In Weston McKinney's case, which was an off-the-field incident, I don't think he's getting a lot of positivity coming his way. But if it's based on performance, more often than not, I do think there are some people that'll be like, hey, keep your head up, keep going, let's get after it. But you and I both know we've been on social media long enough to to at least admit that you kind of glom onto the negativity. 
you could see 99 great things about you. You're like, yeah, 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 I know I'm great. And then you see that one like, nah, dude, you you suck. And you're like, dude, what is that guy from, from Tennessee who's only 12 years old think I suck? You know, and that's the thing yeah. that sticks with you for the rest of the day. And if that continues to pile on in, in, a, in a way that I'm sure that it is for these guys, I could see that being a bit difficult and, and really important. And to your point where I think you're trying to lead me here is, can they lean on each other to, to navigate the high seas of the social media stuff and all of this pressure? And I think it can happen, but it has to be led, I think, from the coach. He's the one driving this. He's the one that can take the air out of the pressure. He's the one that can bring some levity and some sensibility to, hey, the fine margins are very, very thin at the highest levels. And we just need to get those tipped in our favor. Now, everything kind of went pretty great for us during the summer. And to something you had said either on HQ or on this podcast, we talk a lot. So I don't even know where we said this. But, <laughs> but <laughs> On but, the phone. Yes, that yeah. too. Uh, but I think because we won both of those tournaments, it did mask a few things. And, and I think we look back with a little bit more rose-colored glasses like, oh, we played pretty well. We won two tournaments. And we've only lost one out of our last 21 games. So what kind of adversity has this group actually had to face? Now, there has been some in-game adversity being down to Mexico with 10 minutes left in the Nations League final and Weston McKinney stepping up and scoring on a, on a set piece. You know, we had to save a penalty there. Like, we, we fought through some of that stuff. But I, <laughs> we tried to say this. The World Cup qualifying is a whole different thing. It's a whole nother level. And, yeah. and, and the thirst and desire from, from these teams, especially when they're playing at home, is something different. And I get the sense in Canada, I said this before, they think they have our number, and it showed again. John Hertzman comes in after his first thing in his press conference after the 1-1 draw was, we could have and should have maybe gotten all three points there. That is somebody that knows, I just outsmarted Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. We, we, we played into their vulnerabilities, to their weaknesses, which is a lack of patience, uh, always in a hurry, uh, lack of maturity in some capacity, both on and off the field, as we're seeing again with Weston. And, and we played right into their hands, and we never made them suffer. I fear with Honduras, who have two draws in their first two games, are going to see exactly what the other two teams did. And now they play with two forwards more often than not. And I'm kind of curious how how we're going to counter that. Because I want to get your thoughts on this, Heath. Because after the game, Greg Berhalter said, we have to figure out how to unlock teams that sit behind us. Mm-hmm. Sit, you know, sit, you know, everybody behind the ball. And I was like, we got to figure that out now? What have we been doing the last 20 games? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that, 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 that comment the, the, you- like, makes me a little concerned. The U.S. is the, the respect for this U.S. team changed, I think, considerably after these Nations League and 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 Gold Cup games. Mm-hmm. And for, for by and large, probably a lot of people didn't watch those uh, that are that are giving this sort of respect. You just see the U.S. and maybe you did, but the way in which they did. It, if I'm Greg Brohalter, the first thing I'm showing, I'm cutting up all the clips that showed the fight, mm-hmm. showed the fight. Like I'm not going to show you guys all. Oh, hey, uh, you know, I talked a lot about pattern play the last couple of 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 um, shows that we've done, and and I think that's really important. But the first thing I'm going back to is this is the fight. This is what won you these games: fight, 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 everywhere on the field, scrapping, fighting together. This unity, this like sort of energy that's really hard to coach against. And then from there, I'm going okay. Once we've won that, once we've won the match, uh, like out on the battlefield. Let's go and do these other things like pattern play and figure out how we're going to break down these teams. But you're right. I do think teams were playing us differently. And I think teams now, it's qualifying. If I'm, if, if I'm Honduras, I'm thinking minimum a point, three mm-hmm. points. We got mm-hmm. 14 games to do this. We can go on a run against other people. We don't need three points against the U.S. to qualify for World Cup. I'll take right. them against El Salvador at home. I'll take them against Jamaica away and at home. I'll, you know, In their mind, they're, they're, every team right now is building this, this roadmap right? If well, I hope they are, where you're saying in a perfect world, you take this many points from each of these windows and they're not looking at the U.S. Maybe they are now after the U.S. first couple games, but they're looking at their points in other areas where they're like October, January. That's where we're going to get our points. That's where we're going to hit seven to nine points in a month. And that's what's going to kick us in to second place and things like that. So they're thinking right now, hey, U.S., we're just going to make it really hard for you. You got this golden generation of young superstar players. Let's see them make the play that's needed to win in San Pedro Sula because it's going to be extremely difficult. And by the way, for those that don't know, uh, that match is uh, 10.05 p.m. Eastern time um, on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, so make sure you tune into that. Um, and all these, away ma- all these away matches will be on Paramount+. Plus. But Jimmy, uh, you know, going back to it, you made a good point. You said at least this team has made a habit of not losing um, on on the last podcast. And I thought that was a really important distinction because you just talked about the unbeaten run. 
Um, and, and by the way, the CONCACAF changed the kickoff time. So I'll give you that update here. Uh, oh, it's at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, may, make sure you tune in on Whatever. Join, uh, yeah. come, come and join the pregame hey. show. It's 7.05 p.m. on Paramount+. Well, Plus. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, there's plenty of people on the internet that will see the kickoff time regardless and then give you the exact kickoff time uh, that's six or seven minutes later. So you, you know, make sure you just stay tuned on social media. You'll know exactly the, the kickoff <laughs> time. But right now, it's 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. But, Jimmy, you made a good point about the U.S. learning to, to not lose and staying in, in these games, right? And there is a, a, a huge value in that, do you think there's an, an an overly large expectation we're putting on this team to have to win these games? Now we're talking about San Pedro Sula. I just look at this squad, and regardless of who you put on, with the current roster that they have, injuries and everything, no problem. You're telling me we are not we are ranked what ten in the world right now, where we have players playing at Champions League clubs that are in the double digits. Um, you know, I think it's like 10, 11, 12 players playing at Champions League clubs in the group stages. We can't win or mix talent with uh, hard work and get a get a win in San Pedro Sula. It just I don't know if my mind is just embracing Concacaf way too much because you and I know the chaos and how hard it is. But like I also go back to this rooted thing of like. But why can't we just win in in Honduras? So so I think we have set up some expectations here where we won the Nations League final. We won the Gold Cup with a whole completely different team. And that maybe put a different target on our back to your point earlier that now teams are like, all right, these guys have a little something. They're showing that that famous American spirit that they're going to fight and give you everything that they have. And now we had time to kind of sit on that. The, the, and now teams can prepare for us, starting with El Salvador. They had time to, to unlock us, to see where we... And we did give up plenty of chances during both competitions. And, and we were just probably fortunate. And maybe the balance of the soccer gods are coming back and saying, hey, this isn't going to go as swimmingly as it went the time before. And Tyler Adams came out after the game and basically said, we're just a group of names on paper. Like, we still have to go out there and play. And this is, this is a... a a point I made before. It doesn't matter what you did before. Nations League final, Gold Cup, great. Cool. Beat Mexico twice. Awesome. Cool. Play for the Champions League. Great. What you're going to do in the future? Amazing. Good job with that. What are you going to do right now? When the whistle blows, what are you going to do? And I think that's what I learned through my time with the national team. It doesn't matter if you played in Europe. It doesn't matter if you are a youth national team star that's gone all the way up through the 15s, 17s, 20s. Now you're with the full team. It doesn't matter. Are you ready right now? Are you ready when the whistle blows? I don't care if you play in the Premier League. I don't care where you play. You have to show up and play right now. And I feel like we don't have enough of those guys that have clicked on. And we got to show up now and fight. Now, you made a point way back in the Gold Cup coverage. So I'll shout out to all the K Golasso listeners that were part of that journey with us for the Gold Cup. Where we need, a, a, we need enough guys. They don't have to be tens every game. But we need a lot of guys to be sevens and eights. Right? And they have to play that performance. And I think if we look at the last two games, we don't have enough guys at seven and eights. Man, we don't have anybody at 10, but we don't have any, any like enough guys at seven and eights that's going to help kind of tip the result in our favor. And I think we did in both of those competitions. We had enough seven and eights throughout the field. And you don't need all 11. You just need six or seven guys that are just feeling it and can drag everybody else along. And right now, we're either shutting off at the wrong time. Guys aren't locked in. They're getting frustrated. And Alex, actually, I want to mention the pattern play that you mentioned. I get the sense that Greg has given them ideas to how to unlock defenses. It'd be really, be really weird if he hadn't at this point. When Christian Pulisic comes out after the game and says, we need new ideas, for me, that's a shot at Burhalter, <laughs> honestly, because I think Greg has given them that. They're trying to do the things that Greg wants them to do, and it's not working. And they're continuing to try what Greg wants them to do, and it's not working. And at some point, you have to just, hey, at I can only do so much from the sideline. I can only prep you in so many ways. You have to take what the game's giving you. And I don't think we're doing a good enough job of that. And, and where I think Honduras in particular are a little bit vulnerable are on crosses from out wide and also on set pieces. You can get at them. That's where we can have success. That's how we scored against them in the Nations League semifinal when people got a header at, at the end of the game. We have to take that then. These are their vulnerabilities. Let's exploit those vulnerabilities. Instead, I feel like we're just, we want to make, we want to score the pretty goal all the time. And, and that holds us back because that's not going to get you success in CONCACAF. And, and even, even when we try to play that way, it's still not aesthetically pleasing because we can never establish a rhythm because the other team is doing so well of sitting so many people behind the ball. Yeah. Jimmy, I want to get your take on this. Is it surprising to you, given the lack of World Cup qualifying experience, that the team is struggling? Because for me, 
I'm not surprised that they're struggling because you struggle in CONCACAF. There is no way. Mexico have just, by chance, they're on six points. But they've struggled in their mm-hmm, own ways, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. we expect from Mexico and the players that they have and the quality Dude, that they have. Dude, their fans want their coach out. <laughs> they've won the first two games. I mean, yeah. you tell and, me how they're playing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, for me, that, that struggle is not surprising. It's surprising that we're talking about having new ideas in the attack. And I keep, whenever we go down this route, I go back to moments in the game and I'm thinking like, man, when I watch Gio Reyna play at Dortmund and he's connected to, okay, it's Holland. But he, when he's connected and he's playing off the shoulder, one, two, tight passes, pulling defenders in and out of spaces, darting little diagonal runs that open up space uh, with Royce. And I'm not saying that we have those players up top because Josh Sargent isn't uh, Holland. But there are still just fundamental patterns of play and 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 mm-hmm, build-up mm-hmm. situations and game-like things. The game is fluid, right? And you and I have played against a team that high-press you for five minutes and all of a sudden they're sitting on top of their box. And you have to have the IQ. And the one thing that I know these players have more than our generation is that IQ of playing against different types of players, playing in different types of systems, playing at a higher pace, having better uh, uh, ability to break down teams because the game is constantly changing. Now the game is faster and all these other things that you could talk about. So why are we struggling so much to even get into good spots to take those chances? Because we get up there and it's like, you know, Sergio Dest in the game. He, he does a spectacular moment, and then the ball comes back to him a second later, and he kicks it back to the defensive line, and he's up on top of the box. And I'm like, that's not how we need to be playing right now. Right, We've got right. them up against the ropes. Go at them again. Go at them again. Mm-hmm. Go at them again until they're uncomfortable. You know, let's, let's go at them. But instead, we went back to this rhythmic system where, again, in Barcelona, keep the ball. We're going to wear you down a different way. But in that moment, it was an indicator to me that Serginho Dest didn't understand the time and place, that we've got them a little bit nervous. And instead of are one of our best players on the the hook. Yeah. You let them off the hook and now you got to start all over again. And, and so, you know, yeah, just want to, I want to get you, are are you, there's there's two two things I'll jump in here and say, one is, I think you're talking about risk and, and using that IQ to take, take uh, smart risks in some ways, right? Take the advantages when they're, when they're given to you. Now I'm talking about, you know, more often than not, if there's space out wide, take that wide space and whip it in. And it doesn't matter if you hit your target or not. There's still so many opportunities that can come from a deflection. That We almost had a couple of own goals against Canada because we hit some hopeful balls into the box. Yeah, it's not always pretty. And sure, we're not combining and doing 17 passes to score or whatever it may be. But they were still dangerous. And you could sense after those moments, Canada was like, oh, shit. You know, like this, <laughs> we're getting close on scoring our own goal. And we actually didn't even talk about that after the game. But those are the, those are the crosses that I'm talking about. You start putting them in dangerous areas. And if they don't clear them, in, in good spots, we get corner kicks, which we're good on set pieces. We can win the second balls if they do clear them out to the top of the box. But if we all have to be on the same page, like this is what's going to happen. Because when everybody's on the same page, you get out of reactive mode and you get into anticipatory road, uh, mode. And you're, you're, you're thinking about, ah, oh, if this ball breaks here, I'm going to be here. And you know what? Brooks is behind me. He got me covered because we all know we're thinking about how we're going to try to win this second ball in a meaningful way. So, so there's that part of it. Taking, taking those um, educated guesses and, and taking risk. And maybe we're not seeing that enough from our number nine. I, were we offside once against Canada? Do we actually, I don't remember being offside once against Canada. And it, and maybe we have to look back at that. But that just shows you that we're not taking any kind of, like trying to get in behind. Even if there's really no space, are we doing something to move those center backs around? Are we trying to make those darting runs that you're talking about from Erling Holland or what these guys see over in different leagues? So there's, that's one. The second thing that you mentioned that stuck with me Yes, these guys are more talented. They're most likely smarter than we were as players. They, they have shown through the summer that they have that, that, that grit that I think we're talking about that is necessary to be successful at anything. I wonder, and this might be the old man yelling at the, at, get off my lawn or whatever, you know, the has-been player yeah. that's yelling at the next generation. I wonder sometimes about entitlement. And, and I see it with some of the younger players that I coach here in my area at the fourth division with the USL League 2 uh, San Francisco Glens, where they're, they just think they're owed something. And, and dude, I don't care if you won the Nations League. I don't care if you won the Gold Cup. Nobody owes you shit. Nobody owes you anything. And, and you have to go out there and fight for that respect every single play, every single game. Every it, That's how it works. And I wonder if we maybe bought into our own hype a little bit because everything went so well for us that, hey, now that we're merging these two teams from the Nations League and the Gold Cup, we're going to be a super U.S. team and everything's going to be golden, you know? And so... I don't know. I don't get that sense, but but I do see 
that from this generation, there is a bit of entitlement and, and that people owe us something and nobody I, owes you anything. I will say this, Jimmy, and then we'll, we'll move on to the, the changes that I, that, that you want to see for this upcoming match against Honduras, uh, that the entitlement is fine. That all everybody's on the same page. We're this young generation rolling through. Everybody's happy is great. <clears throat> but with that comes the responsibility to hold each other accountable at the mm -hmm, highest mm -hmm, level. And I think mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. the part that I want to see is who's going to rise. We saw in the 2018 cycle, there was this huge question of who is the leader? Who's the captain that's going to grab somebody by the shirt and throw them up against the wall and be like, hey, you know, what are you doing? It's you only know, Tyler Adams for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tyler Adams is the only Wesley McKinney, maybe, but at this point, he's got a lot of trust to regain from his teammates and, and yeah. the fans and the coaching staff and everybody. And maybe Weston's not your your typical leader and leads in a different way on the field in big moments. We've seen that, you know, Landon Donovan was a guy who led with these types of moments, but he wasn't a big rah, rah, rah guy in the locker room. He wasn't necessarily that type of leader. He was a leader in a different type of way. At least th that's how I always mm -hmm. interpreted him. Mm -hmm. But I'm still waiting to see what that next. Uh, you know, uh, that next sort of thing is that holds these players accountable. They're all friends with each other on social media. They're in group chats. They're all these things. They comment on each other's photos. They, they're all actually friends in real life. And, you know, sometimes when you cross that line of friendship, it becomes hard to go back and be like, mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. well, as a friend, I need you to do better. And if you're Greg Berhalter, who, you know, you got Tyler Adams commenting on Greg's shoe game on social media, uh, on, in the media and, things like that, you know, saying that he can't rock it. And there's this familial feeling, but there's this also this gray area where you don't want to see it go too far, where now it becomes hard, where it's like, you know, we've, we've kind of come too far for me to go back and be like, hey, those games that I let you get away with or mm -hmm, mm -hmm, or those moments that I, that I don't think you were there for the team, it's hard for me to go back now and hold you accountable because maybe I was with you at times that we we shouldn't have been doing things that we shouldn't have been doing or or maybe I didn't correct you and now it gets harder and harder for you to go back and, and be that leader and say, no, 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 no. Nobody's above this team. Everybody's going to step up. And I think that's partially on Greg and the players. And I, I'm, I'm uh, again, going on a little bit of a, uh, a, a rant here. But last, last question on this. Do you think entitlement extends out to the media and the fans? 100%. I, I, I think that... And, and for me, the entitlement comes from we didn't qualify for the last World Cup, and we have to fix that. That's three steps back, hopefully four, five, six steps forward. And now it's it's less – I don't know if it's entitlement, maybe mixed in with expectation. I expect this group of players, our quote-unquote golden generation, to do it. I expected this group of players to not do the stupid crap that Weston McKinney's doing. I thought this group of players was going to look at it and be like – this is our thing. We're owning this. And I thought we saw hallmarks of that over the summer. You've talked about it a couple times about that, that spirit that seems that's back and that that's why the buy-in from the fans is so high. And obviously we have all these players playing over in Europe at a high level. Like everything makes sense. And that's what you said early on. How do we not just go down to Honduras and get the, get the result? We should have it. We have everything we need to make it happen. But it's that little bit of that gray area, that little thing that maybe we're missing, especially we haven't seen it, that's going to tip everything in our favor. And it's, it's, it's has nothing to do with talent or IQ. It's just the fight. We need to see that and they have to match it. And, and because we lack some experience in these big games of World Cup qualifying, which is a different feel, I hope that the El Salvador game gave us a nice, that's what we wanted. That was a silver lining. Finally, we got some experience for all these players playing in a hostile environment. Honduras is going to be harder than El Salvador. And I hope that Greg's passing along that message. But yes, I do think the entitlement does come in, especially as we have casual fans who just see kind of the basic, oh, Honduras, how many people live in that country? We have 330 million here. You're telling me we can't beat that with guys that win the Champions League? You know, I get it. If I'm a casual fan, it would make zero sense to me why we can't get results. But for us that have lived through the experience, dude, it's, it's, it's incredibly hard because these players are fighting for something that, that a lot of, in a, in a lot of different ways, both on and off the field, that if they play well against the U.S., that could be a stepping stone for them to get a professional contract or a bigger contract somewhere else. Like All eyes are on the scouts are there. There's so much at stake for these players that could potentially get them out of a bad situation and into something else. And imagine that type of hunger, knowing if you played well against the U.S. or Mexico, whoever, and that could be parlayed into getting your family a house or getting them food. Or I mean, we just can't really replicate that type of hunger because a lot of the players, we were included in this, Heath, are kids that came up from the suburbs. You know, we don't have that 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 kind of hunger that can only be replicated when you're like got nothing left and this is your only option. And I think a lot of that is baked into this when we play the smaller nations. And for them, obviously, Honduras didn't qualify for the last World Cup. They qualified for the previous two. 
I'm using them as an example because they're our opponent, but they have that. And and that's hard to to sometimes match. And that's that's always going to be a challenge for the U.S. Uh, no matter what. Fully agree. Sorry, I that. totally took that a different direction. No, 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 no. I I think I think that's a that's a great point, and that starts to tee up this this preview between the U.S. and Honduras. Honduras rotated their squads. They played their first two games away. Uh, they finally get their home game. And again, when you talk about that mapping out or that roadmap of qualifying, you look and you go two points after two road games. Not a bad, not a bad start. We're gonna we're gonna be able to make that up later on. Yeah, you have the U.S. early, but that means you got two more games home later on that you might have in a row for Honduras. Uh, they they had two squad rotations and they were able to scrap out. Again, I thought they were very very good at just being difficult to play against. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're going to be at home. They're going to be in front of a a different their their home crowd, and there's going to be this anticipation of saying, "Well, you know what's better than two points." fight <laughs> you know um and and that's going to be hard hard to uh play against and prep for and so one i want to get your thoughts i know you've been going back to this uh back three mm-hmm. uh, quite often i know you're a big fan of that is that what you want to see in this match uh you know get walk me through your lineup on this one yeah good question i'll start with honduras first because they actually were in a 4-3-3 against canada as you mentioned they rested a lot of players against el salvador probably hoping to maybe we'll squeak out and get a result only one shot on goal in that one they created 11 shots, but only one that actually hit uh, hit the target. I'll say that they gave us some problems in the Nations League final with Albert Elise, who is actually not playing in this game, which thank the heavens, because that guy has problems. He has got so much speed, and, and he, he's gotten better and better as he's matured as a player, like his timing of his runs, running off the back shoulder of the, of the center backs. And because we struggled against Canada with the counterattack in some capacity. I'm happy that Elise isn't there. Now they have Kyoto who plays for Montreal Impact, or I guess they're not the Impact anymore, CF Montreal at MLS, who has similar qualities to Elise, but doesn't have that, that finished product. Like once he gets into the final third, he does lack a little bit of composure. So I'm hopeful he doesn't just, you know, pull some, some rabbit out of his butt and score like a banger top bins uh, when he's going to get a chance. But he is someone to watch out for. Though their coach Koito doesn't seem to really like his game and and I can see where Kyoto at times can be frustrating because sometimes he he holds on to the ball when he should pass it and then he passes it when he should hold on to the ball we all know those players uh, they probably play on every men's league team around the around the country <laughs> but but I'll say that uh the 4-3-3 of Figueroa is their captain 172 caps 38 years old we got to run at that guy but super experienced so they're going to be tough to break down to your point what I think we're going to see is because El Salvador successfully sat back and, and made it difficult for us. All the same thing with Canada. I think Honduras is going to do the same. They're probably going to do that anyway. Yeah. Which means if you bring in three center backs, I think we really need to consider either bringing in James Sands, who's a good passer of the ball. And and, and more importantly, because I watched back some of the U.S.-Canada game, there were times where John Anthony Brooks or Miles Robinson could have taken that ball and broken that first line of pressure to then invite somebody to pull out of a space and then you make the quick pass to one of our attacking midfielders who maybe weren't as connected. So that would be, if you bring in a Sands who is very good at carrying the ball into midfields, he's somebody I would consider. I, at this point, I would even consider Tim Ream because if you have some another player on the left side who's a left footer that can make a good pass, and John Anthony Brooks can make a good pass, I thought he was forcing a lot of stuff against Canada, which I understand. You get a lot of the ball. The team's giving you that space. You all of a sudden have to be the playmaker because there's nowhere else to go, and they're giving you the ball. But Tim Ream's a good passer to the ball. He can break lines. Uh, James Sands is another player we should consider. But we also have to be obviously wary of the fact that they're probably going to have some speed up top, and we need to be thoughtful. And I don't think Ream or Sands are very good on, on the turn, you know, that recovery speed. Yeah. So that's, that's something that I think we have to balance. But if you could have one of those two, and maybe sandwiched in between, and I could see Sands in the middle of, of, of a Brooks and Miles Robinson, and that way, Sands, if he does get it, he can then carry the ball. And then those two will kind of just fall back into being center backs if he steps into midfield. Yeah. That means we'd have only Tyler Adams. Acosta would be out, who I didn't look like he looked too comfortable. I didn't think Legette looked all that comfortable. So so obviously, missing McKinney and Reyna doesn't help us. But the two wingbacks, I'd stay with Anthony Robinson. I actually think he's been our best player through the, the two games. Uh, I don't know who you put it right back at this point. Des isn't available. Do you go back to Yedlin? Maybe stay with Yedlin there. I wish Reggie Cannon was available. He'd give us a different option. You could actually put Kellen Acosta there as well. But those guys have to be ready to hit in crosses. And then then, then from there, you have your front three. Would you put and more? Is Shaq Moore on the team? I think so. Is he not? I, I don't think he's in the team. He's not on the team? No. Mm-hmm. 
No, right. we only brought Yedlin and Dest as, okay. as our outside backs, and we brought George Bello and and um, Anthony Robinson as our left backs, and everybody else are center backs. Me, yeah, Walker Zimmerman's another option, but but um, in the back, I would say the front three got Pulisic for sure. I'm trying to decide if you go with Aronson again, or maybe you go with a Conrad De La Fuente, and then maybe bring Aronson on as a super sub. I'd consider that, but bring him on with like six, you know, thirty minutes left, and not nine minutes or eight minutes like he did in the last game for all the other guys. I honestly. I would roll the dice and give Ricardo Pepe 45 minutes here, you know, and see how he does in the first half and something. And just be like, dude, run your balls off. Just run as hard as you can. Track everything down. Be a big option for us. But if we think we're going to hit a lot of crosses in, then maybe PFOC is the answer. I don't know if Sargent's as good in the air as the other as PFOC, uh, PFOC is uh, the other guys. So I don't know. It, it, it's kind of a wide open thing for me for number nine. But why not try Ricardo Pepe at this point? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the back four on on mm. on mine again. I'm gonna go with the same uh, back four out of out of just necessity with with Yedlin in there, um, and I'm gonna go with the, my same uh, uh, Acosta. I'm gonna go with Legette. I'm gonna go with um, Tyler Adams. I know it's a lot of a lot of miles to put on these 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 legs, but my confusion when I was building this lineup is is again one of the themes I've been talking about that we've talked about a lot is the press right. And there's nothing nothing worse than a broken high press. So right. my whole thought is like, well, maybe I'm getting it. Maybe I'm thinking about this all wrong. Maybe we should be the counterattacking team everywhere we go. Maybe we should have these players like a Pulisic higher up the pitch and we'll have a Brendan Aronson who can spring out on the counter and then put a, a guy like Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe, by the way, is probably the best natural finisher the U.S. has mm-hmm. ever had in terms of like, I'm not, we're going to get, we're going to get, we're going to get crushed. Uh, Oh, I'm going to get crushed for saying this, but I liken him to, and not in terms of quality or where he's at, but when you watch Pepe score, his goals are very similar to a Lewandowski scores in every single way from everywhere on the pitch. And it Mm -hmm. looks like the goalie's making mistakes a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, he'll slot one to the near post. He'll put, he'll roof one high. He can score on a header. He can score with both feet, but it always looks like something's gone wrong for the other team. And when you see that happen over and over and over again, you start to realize he's just got this nose for goal. He knows how to hit it and when to hit it and where to make it look easy. And he's the kind of guy that I would like to have on. So I would put him on and just say, hey, prove something to me. Prove that you're ready. He's got a hot hand. It's not like he's he's uh, just going to like fall apart or whatever and say, hey, when you get a chance, there might be long periods you don't get the ball. Hold up play. Just look for a player. Bring it down. Draw foul or, or, or release it. And so I'm going to go with Aronson on the right. And and um and and I don't know. Can we go with Pulisic or if not, then yeah, Conrad, Conrad De La Fuente because it, it might be a little bit too too much too many miles for him to go. Because I thought he would go sixty max, and then uh, he actually had more energy than I thought. Because when it hit like 45, 50, 60, I was like, no, take him out. He's gonna you're leaving him just to leave him. Yeah. Um, but he, but he did show a willingness to go forward. I think even better than than at higher positions than than previously. Uh, and then obviously sticking with 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 Matt Turner. Uh, in goal. Of course, of course. I, my only concern is Kellen Acosta because as much as I love his game, he's better as a six than he is as a box-to-box eight. There were times where he could have maybe been in good spots to support the play to help us unlock. And I feel like if Honduras is going to sit back, we need somebody else that I think is just better in those areas. I'd almost go with Christian Roldan if we're going to go with a back four. And and maybe that's him for Legette. We, we don't have too many options, frankly. We, mm-hmm. Our depth has been tested in a lot of different ways. So I would put Adams there. If I did back four, Adams. And then I would look for somebody a little bit different than, than Acosta in that spot. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just have Christian Roldan is, is the player. That's I, that, and, and that's fair. I, I, I think that's fair. My, the, the last thing I would say to that is, is it so hard to play against a team and create chances? Now, scoring against a team that's bunkering, that's one thing. But creating chances against a bunkering team where you go in, out, out the other side. Now you're running at them, whip a ball in, people crashing the box, put pressure on like. I feel like we're overcomplicating what it takes to create chances and where mm-hmm. the space is against a team that's bunkering in. And whether it's Acosta or whether it's a rolled on, there's a simple role of getting the ball in, out, out the other side. Now you've unbalanced them and you're running with pace. Maybe you have an overlap. Maybe you whip that ball in. But I'm not sure we've even done that. And that's a scary thought to me, right? Like scoring against a team that bunkers in. Jimmy, you know, we used to do training sessions where you play four defenders against seven attackers. And you could go an hour without giving up a goal, right? If you're shifting well, moving that four defensive line, it's very hard to score against when you're in the box and you're marking up and you're talking a lot and there's this sort of like pride on the line. And so I get that scoring or breaking that down can be hard.
but we're not even attempting to break these these things down. You know, we created that numerical advantage with the with the Robinson overlap that led to the goal, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, two v one is better than one v one, and mm-hmm. and like not to overcomplicate what it takes to create half chances or create some momentum. And I feel like maybe they're they're overcomplicating what it's going to take to to have to score. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think that we could simplify things and ultimately it gets back to my point of, and I know it's a lot easier said than done, but just taking what they're giving us. So I'm curious to see how we try to solve some of these problems and not try to square peg in a round hole all the time. And then everybody gets frustrated and then, then the other team gets confidence because they can see that we're frustrated. Anyway, let's get to my bets. Yes, I've been please. very, very biased the first two, two match days going, obviously, I'm never betting against the Americans. I'm not going to bet against them, but I am going to be a little bit more pragmatic here. I think that even though the sky is going to be falling forever, all the fans, I, I sense we're going to get another draw here. And and that, I think, is where the best value is. Plus 210 for the draw. Uh, straight up uh, U.S., excuse me, straight up for the U.S. to win is minus 163, I think. Is there a goal is, out there? Is there a goal out there for the U.S., you think? Potentially. What I was going to say is there is one bet that I would probably look at even more. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. And it's really good value. Sorry, my whole thing got... Uh, here it is. So so they give you value on coming from behind to win or draw. And I kind of want to put money on both because it's plus 600 for, for Honduras to do it. We just saw the U.S. give up a lead to Canada where they fell asleep. And, and it's plus 460 for the U.S. to come back from behind and, and, and draw against Honduras. And I feel like if that is how the game played out, we'd all be like, oh, man, we came from behind to get a goal to score against Honduras. We did it in 2017 and Bobby Wood scored the 85th minute. Like that feels like a win, you know? So I feel like we've, we had the draw there in El Salvador, you know, zero, zero. Then we had the lead and gave it up. Now maybe the the script's going to be reversed and we're going to do that and maybe feel somewhat okay, but we got to, it's really important for us. And I'm sure Honduras is saying the same thing. We got to finish this match day with something. We want to, we want to end it on somewhat of a high note. Both are going to be going for a win, but I think cautiously going for a win which means I think it could lead to a draw. I like plus 210 for the draw, but those other two values, just to kind of have it covered, if you think there is a goal in this game, coming from behind a winner draw, plus 600 for Honduras and 460 for the US, you could put 10 bucks on both and still come out a pretty big winner. I like that. I will say capitalizing on vulnerability is what the U.S. has to be able to do both home and away. You can smell it. You can feel it when you're in the stadium. You know when there's this shift they need to capitalize on. That goes back to my point about Dest. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we continue our uh, qualifying previews. We're going to talk Canada, El Salvador. We're going to talk Costa Rica, Jamaica, and Panama, Mexico. We will be right Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? All right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Back. Okay, everyone. We are back. Jimmy, we've covered a lot of ground. We have. Both, both from a point of passion, from anger. Uh, we've also, I hopefully, given some, some good insights on what we think is going to happen uh, and what's going on within the, 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 the U.S. side. Uh, but moving on, we're going to talk about Canada, El Salvador. Uh, Fonzie's being assessed with his injury. Obviously came out against the U.S., uh, was the, the most dangerous player. Everybody was sort of, uh, you know, thinking the heavens, as you mentioned before, uh, when he went out because we could breathe a little bit. It's been a long time since I've seen a player like that have that kind of impact on a game where you go double, triple team him because he looks in form and he does not fear uh, the U.S. whatsoever. But now against El Salvador, Canada's at home. They get two home games uh, out of their three, obviously squandered their first one, now playing against El Salvador, who scrapped out two two draws. Uh, in their first two games at home, and they're now traveling away. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one, and what are your betting tips? I would say immediately that Canada needs to win this game. They absolutely need to win this game, and I think they have some momentum coming out of that uh, U.S. performance against the U.S. where they were very smart and patient. I really like the patience from the Canadians. Maybe something we haven't seen in the past where they have the ability to be patient, right? Because they never necessarily had all the talent to to play uh, certain formations or different types of tactics, but now they have that and they have some players, world-class players in their team. They're minus 333 to to beat El Salvador. El Salvador probably kicking themselves. They didn't get more out of that uh, Honduras game where Honduras kind of rolled out their second string in some ways. That was a good opportunity for them to get three points. They could have stolen that against the U.S. as well. They get out of there, two games, two draws, two home games. They got to feel like they need at least four points from two games at home. They only have two. Canada, I think, are in a nice... I, I feel like Canada knows who they are. 
and what they're about. Now, they struggled a little bit against Honduras. I don't think they were ready to match what Honduras brought to the table, similar to how we were assessing the U.S. But I think in this one, now that they've got two games under their belt, they got a little bit of momentum that they could have stolen all those points. If you start a, if you start a Dave, it didn't, they might not even need Davies in this one, honestly. They got David Buchanan, who are going to be going with aggression. Kyle Laren is in good form right now. Then, then I just think they're going to do enough. And they seem very stout defensively. They, 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 they know what they need to do. And I think if they suffocate El Salvador in the right way, they should get a result here. They need to get a result. Let's be honest. Like yeah. If they really want to qualify for the 2022 World Cup, they have to get a result at home against El Salvador, who on paper are probably one of the weaker teams. Now, El Salvador is not going to make it easy. We've already seen that. They had some good performances uh, in the Gold Cup as well. So you, they have that right on it. But I like Canada all the way. It's hard to bet for this one. I'm kind of going with a parlay. So I've got Canada in my parlay right now. So that's that. And then I got the draw with U.S. Honduras. So those are my two in the parlay. That's plus 303. If you just want to bet Canada to win and a draw on Honduras, U.S., it's plus 303. I will say this. If Canada rolls out the lineup they played against the U.S., I know it was a squad rotation. But if you're reading into Herdsman a little bit more, you had the opportunity now to go, you know what? We lost a little bit of that fight against Honduras because we had a bunch of stars on the field. Mm -hmm. We've never had that before. It is really fun. We have all these good players but we want to play beautiful football, and that's not what qualifying is all about right now. So if he rolls out that second lineup, imagine wearing down an El Salvador side only to bring on a Tejan Buchanan, mm-hmm. only to bring on a David. Uh, I'm not saying that's what he's going to do. Maybe you rotate a couple other players, but I do think there is a value in putting the team over the 11 players, or your 11 most talented players for the, 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 the sacrifice of what's going to be uh, the best chance to get a result. And they went back to that never say die out. You me- remember in a gold cup, uh, mm-hmm. kept talking about, we're playing this like a final. It was like a final. It was like a final. He said it so many times we laughed about it for most of the tournament, but now you're starting to see that that is actually the foundation of which he's trying to build the mentality of this team. And when they have that mentality, they get results. And so if they can do that at home, even though they're at home and quote unquote, you play differently than away. I still think there's a value in matching the other team, uh, for that intensity and fight. And then later on, if it's not working, you bring in some of these super subs that can disrupt a game and create chances for you and bring you the three points you need. You don't have to be great over 90 minutes. That's just sort of my right. uh, my right. take on that one. Well, so I'm going to jump into Costa Rica, Jamaica, because I feel like that's the same vibe for Costa Rica. They're at home playing the worst team so far over the t- first two match days. Jamaica, who have really, really disappointed. And even though they are, they had Mikel Antonio and Ravel Morrison for, for a game, it didn't feel like they, it's like, who are these guys? Yeah, they're good. But like, do they really fit the system? Like we haven't really even played with these guys. And I think that's going to be the challenge for Jamaica. Very similar to what you said about Herdsman. Yes, these are stars, but are they going to fit into what is going to give us success? Now, Jamaica looked outside of those guys. Jamaica just looked poor on the defensive side of the ball, which was pretty crazy. That's the first time they've lost at home in Kingston since 2016 in World Cup qualifying. Wow. That's a bit of a surprise. And Panama just didn't just like squeak the 1-0. I mean, they, they, they kicked their butt 3-0. That was a really impressive performance from Panama. And we'll, I know we'll talk about them in a second. Costa Rica, though, has to view this game as, honestly, if we want to qualify, we have to win this. So I have Costa Rica winning this one against Jamaica. Jamaica, I think, are just going to have to kind of, let's say reshuffle their deck, but kind of reassess who they are and what they're about in the next set of match days. This is one I think is just too soon to solve the problems. Mikel Antonio can't, these guys can't, their big stars can't even fly to this game anyway. So they're going back to the team ultimately that played against Mexico, who actually did show that fight. And yeah, they only got one shot on goal, but they scored that goal. And and it's, it's, it's just interesting times for Jamaica. I, I want them to qualify. I love the reggae boys. I love the way that they play and their personality and all that type of stuff but they still can't get away from the basics of how you survive in CONCACAF, which is the same recipe for everybody else. You have to be in there and ready to fight. And they just didn't do enough of that against Panama. I like Costa Rica. They haven't scored yet. They haven't scored in their last four games. They're due. And and I feel like they know they have to win this one. And I think that that urgency and because of Jamaica's frailties in the back, I think Costa Rica will take advantage of it. Keeler Navas will get another clean sheet. So, so I'll look at that line really quick. Costa Rica to win to nil, but, but I like Costa Rica to win just for my parlay purposes. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is one where Costa Rica uh, comes to life and they respond to all the criticisms that they've had so far to show that they are still a formidable CONCACAF opponent. And that happens against Jamaica, right? My whole thing with Jamaica is they they defend deep, but defending deep has nothing if you don't have an intention of defending mm-hmm. deep. They just go deeper and deeper till they're in their box. And that's a recipe 
uh, for disaster, whether it's deflection goals or set pieces or all, all kinds of things can go wrong mm -hmm. when you're disorganized there. And I think defaulting to a deep block is great if you, if you know exactly, like you said, Jimmy, you get to a certain point and then it's up to those center backs to start pushing people on, releasing players, pushing out, and then initiating that, that press. And I don't think uh, Jamaica have it. The only thing I do hope Mikel Antonio does is go back to England and say, guys, CONCACAF is, is hard. It's hard, guys. I'm, I'm just, uh, I got to give them a little bit of respect uh, more than we do. It's, it's, it's difficult. So uh, that, that's all I'm going to say about that one. But final, finally, we're talking about Panama against Mexico. The two top teams, as I mentioned, Panama, uh, Mexico on six points, Panama on four. Jimmy, what's your, what's your take on this one in terms of just who you think comes out with points or split the points or, or who wins this? Yeah, I think from a betting perspective, the draw feels good because I like what Panama's done. They they played against Costa Rica in the first one and they didn't give up a shot on goal. They were a little unlucky not to score themselves. So Aquino Navas had a very good game. And then against Jamaica, like I mentioned, they were very, very good and, and took their chances very, very well. They're going to need to do that against Mexico. I don't think they're going to get as many chances, but Mexico does give you opportunities to score. And then it's up to you to take advantage of those opportunities. Mexico's got to feel very fortunate I thought their penalty against Costa Rica was a little suspect without VAR. You know, Guardado does get kicked, but uh, I'm still actually kind of upset at Oviedo, the, the, the defender for Costa Rica. He doesn't even need to swing there. Uh, anyway, I don't need to get into the specifics, but it was a bit of a soft penalty in my humble opinion. Mexico is the beneficiary of it. They haven't looked great, but if they win this one, it would be the first time that they won their first three games in the final qualifying rounds since 1978. So so this would be pretty monumental for Tata Martino, who seems to always be under a ton of pressure, <laughs> uh, to, to be able to establish that. And, and they have a good chance. They're on paper better than Panama. But Panama's got a little something special. They, they've actually really surprised me so far in these first two match days with, with how disciplined they are. And they have a manager in Thomas Christensen that I actually had to do a little bit of reading on. He, he, he's a Danish player, but he played for Barcelona's youth system. And and he came up through there and had a couple sniffs with the first team and ended up having to go out on loan and all that good stuff and, and kind of traveled around and was a bit of a journeyman from there. But but he did have those signs. He speaks Spanish and he he can relate to his players. And one of his most successful stints as a manager as he started to move around from and retired was Applewell. And he got them to the round of 16 in the Europa League, the farthest they've ever been in 2017, 2018 season. And that was really, really impressive. He actually took over Leeds. United for nine months and then ended up getting sacked when they were 10th in the championship, I think before Bielsa took over or close to that time. So, so he's got a nice track record of, of having success in different areas, got some very good experiences. And I think he's kind of the ace in the hole. He's got them very well organized. I could see this being a draw, to be honest with you, which actually wouldn't help the United States. As you mentioned before, we need Mexico to just kind of be the outright, just taking the baton and running as far as they can. And then everybody else kind of fighting for the second place scraps. And that's a decent place for the U.S. to be in. But I don't think Mexico's performed so impressively over these first two match days that they're clear winners, clear favorites in this game. So I like the draw. It's plus uh, 230, which I actually think we could see happening, where Mexico, six points from two games, don't really need to stretch too much. I think Panama will have... I think this could be a bit of a chess match, as much as, as boring as that sounds at times. But, but I don't think Panama's going to really let them be exposed. And I think that they can take their one or two chances, which they'll get. Then, then maybe something can happen there. But uh, Mexico has been fortunate. Obviously, scoring a late, a late winner in the against Jamaica's C team in the first match day, and then getting a penalty that I thought was a little soft in match day two. So they're riding their luck a little bit. And I think it could not necessarily run out, but I just think that it's going to be stifled a little bit against a Panama team that's full of confidence and well managed. Yeah, I think the draw here is where I'm looking. Uh, obviously, both these teams know that you know what's better than than the points they're on is is, is one point more at a minimum. I think mm -hmm. Mexico obviously have the ability to to steal all three points if given the chance. But Panama, they're riding this high right now, and if you look, they've just been clinical. Whether it was an opportunity from a center back to to drive down the field untouched to finish a ball off, or um, you know just clinical on the fact that one, two, three passes, again, they're going to goal, they're whipping a ball in and they're crashing with intensity and, and finishing those chances. And I think there's a value in that belief of like, we get a chance, we score. And there's something to that. I don't know if it'll be enough against Mexico uh, in this home game. And I think if you're, you're Panama, you're like, hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're good, but we're not great. Let's make sure defensively we are very, very strong first and we can spring out on the counter and hopefully get a goal that either keeps us level or puts us in front of Mexico. But to expect all three points from the start, I think, could be difficult for this um, 
Panama side. And again, five, five points after three games yeah, that's is, it. is pretty spectacular. And if you're Mexico, same thing. You're like seven points after three games. Okay, it's not a record, but this is the first time we're playing three and you're riding this momentum. You're in a pretty good position because I think, you know, 18 points maybe. It was it was 13 got you into the World Cup when you had 10 games. You got 14 games now, so maybe uh, 18 points will get you there. And now you've got six. You're, you're a third of the way there. Um, so uh, that I, I think that's not... Uh, it wouldn't be a huge downfall. It might be for Tata Martino and all the fans uh, to be extremely disappointed not to take nine points from this because that's the expectation of the team. But um, that's my take on that. Jimmy, any closing thoughts on these ones? Yeah, my only closing thought is this crazy parlay I'm going with. So Canada to beat El Salvador. I have the draw between Panama, Mexico, Costa Rica, Jamaica. I've got Costa Rica winning that one. And then Honduras, USA is a draw. If my bias comes into it, that's actually plus 2,000. So if you bet 100, you win 2,000 bucks or bet 10 to win 200. If I change that draw for USA Honduras, I'm like, no way I'm betting against the Americans. And I get it. I'll switch that in. So the US wins. It's still plus 1,000. So pretty good value, uh, depending on how you want to play that. And you could actually honestly bet both and and uh, and try to see if you can still get a winner. But yeah, I'm excited about this match day three. Obviously, you and I, as, as not only former players, but just as fans, have a lot of questions. And I think we're going to get some answers about what this team is all about against Honduras. And I think that could be said for a lot of the other countries that are participating in this match day three, which is proving to be quite pivotal. I like it, Jimmy. I like it. <clears throat> listen to Jimmy. He gets it right more than he gets it wrong. <laughs> and I, hey, listen, Jimmy, I'm not going to lie, man. I've placed some of, I've placed some of your uh, expert tips and uh, I've hit. So I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm to, here for you, Heath. I'm here yeah, for you. I'm not afraid to, 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 to put a little money on the line uh, on the back of your advice. So that's it from us guys. Uh, as a reminder, uh, you can follow the K Golasso podcast on Twitter at K Golasso pod, subscribe to the K Golasso page on YouTube, hit the notification bell. And of course, subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcast. And again, Jimmy and I will be with you on Wednesday after the U S match or Thursday, depending on where you are in the country. Obviously it's going to get late, but Jimmy and I are not going to go to sleep. We are going to make sure we bring you that recap right after the game, talking about the recap of all the matches from CONCACAF that day and we will be live on youtube for that for an instant recap of honduras versus u.s men's national team as i mentioned as well as the other and until next time thank you very much jimmy and i are out